State Representative Donna Berenger is set to enter her fourth session in the Missouri House. And the St. Louis Democrat is eager to tackle regulations around vaping and changes to how Missourians get their car tags. Berenger joins us next on the latest edition of Politically Speaking, so let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio's political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me in studio today, the spiritual state representative and spiritual alder woman for Jason Rosenbaum. Donna Berenger. I mentioned that because I used to live in your ward in your district for many years, and I still go to it often. My kids love going to Francis Park, and it's not that far from Richmond Heights. You, you will always be my state representative in spirit, Representative Berger. Oh, thank you. We're here to talk a little bit about uh, what to expect in the 2020 legislative session. Unbelievably, it is almost 2020. I know. Um, so I want to look a little bit forward, and I'm going to start this off pretty open-ended. What are you expecting next year when you enter your fourth legislative session? Well, what I'm expecting is that um, I know that the governor announced yesterday about the vaping so I know I'm hoping we will go back and repeal that piece of legislation. And the reason is, is because when they originally passed this piece of legislation, um, they had said to the actual, and it was done during the end of session. So that's the one thing people need to always remember. The most dangerous time in, at the state level is the last two weeks of session. And by the way, the legislation I think you're talking about is, mm-hmm. is a bill that I think made vaping not a tobacco product and made it so that the state couldn't regulate it like tobacco. And more importantly, they couldn't tax it like tobacco. That is correct. So continue. All right. So what happened was, is at the very end of that session, They came out and they said, um, this bill is needed because what it's going to do, it's going to regulate so no one under 18 can actually vape in the state of Missouri. Well, they really didn't need to do that had they not changed the definition of vaping. They made vaping non-nicotine, and under federal law, it would have already been illegal for anyone under 18 to vape. So at the end of session, they voted it. They passed it saying, okay, hey, we're going to make it. And this is the reason is because we need to make sure so no one over under 18 can vape. But in doing that, they made it so there could be absolutely no regulation on vaping moving forward or even taxing it. Yeah. And and the taxing part to me is the most noteworthy thing because vaping has become very popular compared to smoking cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And I have to wonder how much revenue has the state of Missouri left on the table because they passed that bill. It has to be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Possibly. Hundreds of millions, $1.5 billion. Yeah. So Governor Nixon at the time did a scathing veto of that for two reasons. He said, why would we eliminate any possible future regulation on any level of vaping? And number two, he said, we do not understand yet what the health risks are. And then we came back into veto session and they overrode Governor Nixon's veto of that piece of legislation. I believe Governor Parson, when he was a state senator, voted to override that veto. That would be correct. 
And now he had, you were mentioning he had a press conference basically saying we're going to do a public relation campaign saying don't vape, basically. Correct. Um, but I don't, I, I don't know if he was asked about that bill, and I don't know if he was asked about taxing vape products like tobacco. But I, I have to imagine that because vape companies are now like inextricably linked with tobacco companies, tobacco companies think own some percentage of vaping companies, they're going to probably pull out all the stops to make it so what you just suggested doesn't happen. Is that, is that your impression, too? My impression would be they'll try and stop us from repealing it, but I would like to see that brought back, and I would like us to repeal it for that reason. It needs to be regulated, and it does have health implications. Where do you think that money—I guess the money would go to wherever, like, tobacco taxes would go, which I guess can be, like, health care or, or anything else. But may, maybe you could, like, direct it into the general fund to allow it to be used for schools, roads— I don't, I don't know, anti-vaping, like actually putting money into anti-vaping campaigns, something yes. like that. Where would you want to see that money go? Well, I would want to say it go to education, anything for health issues. I mean, there's so many areas. I would look to see that where we're, based on our budget, where we need the most, you know, funneling of funds. For me, that would probably be early childhood education. Um, but the one thing I do want to bring up about the vaping is that, and this is across the board, is that our problems with the vaping, anything that we're inhaling right now, including the CBD, is the fact that a lot of things that are coming from China, we don't know what's in them. And so we need to do, we need regulation, end of story. There will be some vaping supporters who say the people that are getting sick and dying are getting sick from, like, black market vaping products. Mm-hmm. You mentioned CBD or yes. THC. Mm-hmm. It's not the stuff you would buy, say, at the now departed store in Hampton that talked about succeeding and asking why not vape. What would you say to that? Well, I once again, let me go back to the fact that we do have THC, other items for vaping that are coming in from other countries that are unregulated and they have things in them that are making people sick immediately. We need to have federal regulations on this. So what are some other things that you're going to be focusing on? I've been following your legislative career. You've had some success of getting some legislation passed or working with Republicans to get stuff across the finish line, even though you're a member of the Democratic supermajority. What are going to be some things you're going to be spearheading in 2020? Well, during our special session, um, we opened up what had to do with uh, sales tax on vehicles. And what I was hoping to do at that time during special session is come back with, which is my nickname, the temp tag lady, and has to do with the expired temp tags, vehicular temp tags when you purchase a car. So um, it didn't open up that exact piece of uh, the law, so I couldn't do it. But I did go to leadership, and I asked them if I could speak on the floor, because when you look at the expired temp tags in the state of Missouri, the majority of them are actually in the St. Louis metropolitan area. I don't see as many in Kansas City, and I certainly don't see hardly that many across the rural areas. So I needed that time on the floor to explain what is going on here. And basically, in the state of Missouri, when you purchase a car, at the time of purchase, they give you a temporary tag. They tell you, here's what, you know, you need to go pay your sales tax. You have 30 days to pay the sales tax. We had in 2018 33,000 vehicles that never paid their sales tax to the state of Missouri. That's 2018. I explained that that's probably going to double for 2019 because there's that many more people not paying their sales tax. So what I had said was I'm going to come back in January, and the legislation I'm going to introduce is going to require 
that you must pay Missouri and local sales tax at the time of purchase. You cannot drive that car off the lot until you've paid the sales tax. Now, you can go get your plate at any point, but as long as you've paid the sales tax, that is key. Could you pay the sales tax at the dealership, or would you still have to go to a fee office in order to, in order to do that? No, you're going to have to pay at the dealership. That is the only way that you can drive that car off the lot. But you're still going to have to go to the fee office to get your plates. Okay. Because I think that and, and it's been about four or five years since I bought a car, but I seem to remember that I paid the sales tax at Gregory FX Daily's fee office. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people do that and and whatnot. Why do you think it's a problem that so many people are having temp plates? I, I know that it gets a lot of ire on social media, but a lot of people would say like, while it is a problem that people are not paying sales tax on on cars, it's not really worth the energy and frustration that that people are are are, are exerting here. Why why do you think that they're wrong? I'm not saying that they're wrong. What what I'm saying is is that there is a reason some of these are happening, and it's not for what people think. So we used to have, you know, we were concerned about payday lenders and how they take advantage of the underserved. Now what we're having is is that you have a car dealership and you have someone come in and the value of the car that they're going to buy, they inflate it. And then they tell them, hey, we can roll your sales tax into the loan, which is perfectly legal in the state of Missouri. So then they, they overestimate the sales tax. So they hand them a check that's made out to them, the purchaser, and they take that check and they put it in their bank account. And unfortunately for me, I don't have to worry about if I'm going to be able to afford my rent, buy diapers, or get formula. And what tends to happen is that these underserved populations don't ever go back and pay their sales tax because that check was made out to them and they used it for other reasons. Then they can't afford the car, so they get it repoed. So here's a car that gets repoed, and then it's going to be sold again. And then the person who went to purchase that car is upside down in that loan. So we're having a new area of people taking advantage of. And that will end that. And that's what's concerning to me. And the credit unions not only will give them a lower percentage on a car loan, they will roll the sales tax and car insurance into their loan. That's what I was trying to get at with that question. Like, again, I understand that you have to pay sales taxes on cars. And I'm not advocating that people don't do that. But there are people that clearly don't have a lot of money and they need cars in order to go to work and survive. And I'm just trying to make sure that what you're trying to do is not going to leave them further behind the eight ball and continue a cycle of poverty they can't get out of. I've looked at the entire situation and saw who is being taken advantage of. And we need to get the people who are taking advantage of those people, we need to stop that from happening. And we need to let people know that you can go to a credit union and you can get a loan. And they will also give you financial education so that you know how much of a car can I afford. A credit union is the best first step for someone who has financial difficulties. I know there was, when I was looking on your website before we started this interview, you had proposed another piece of legislation that deals with candidates for office and who have tax issues. I did. Um, What had happened was that there were candidates on the ballot in the city of St. Louis who had not paid sales tax. We didn't even know if they, where they lived so the question was, is if you're going to run for office, any office, I don't care if it's the city or not, you should follow the rules that are very clear 
that you have to live so long that you have to have paid your taxes. And to say that you didn't know that you ever owed taxes, I mean, I guess I don't know how that happens, but I've, they've always seemed to find me if I owe money. Yeah, and I think that basically the bill would have allowed election authorities to be more proactive in trying to see if somebody owed taxes. Am I getting that correct? I don't know about proactive, but it would say that they must. In other words, right now, it's, it's hey, you know, we figure the other people who are, you're running against will, will find that out themselves. But if you're unopposed, then you can continue running, and we're never going to find out that you did owe or even if you live in your district. I think that I mentioned Gregory FX Daily earlier in relation to the fee office. He had brought this up because I think that he had to spend a lot of money to find out that, like, one of his opponents, like, ran afoul of this. Was this something that he came to you and said, please take this up on a state level? Or did you kind of do this independently because you may have run into a situation like that when people ran against you? No, I think it actually came up as a conversation when I saw him at an event when we were out together. And then I saw the article about them trying to prove who, where people actually live in the city of St. Louis. So it came about us talking to each other. And he said, well, do you think there's any legislation at the state level? And I said, I don't know. I'll check into it. So that it came about that way. And just as an aside, it's interesting that he was really like up in arms about this when he has like $100 million of cash on hand. But I, I guess that like he just was frustrated that he had to take the time to do this himself rather than the election board doing it. That was my understanding from reading uh, the article. Yeah, and I think, and when you say it cost him money, I think it cost him thirty to forty thousand dollars to actually fight this. And I don't think I don't have that kind of money. So right. if that happens to me, I can't afford to fight it. We'll be right back after this message with State Representative Donna Berenger. And we're back with State Representative Donna Berenger, a Democrat from St. Louis. I want to talk a, a little bit about uh, efforts on a state level to deal with gun violence, not only in St. Louis, but also Kansas City, Springfield, and Columbia. Um, at the end of the special session that you were just alluding to, House Speaker Elijah Har talked about how he's going to work on some undefined package to deal with gun violence on a state level. I don't think anybody denies that the state does have a role. Like Governor Parson came to St. Louis and laid out a plan to bring the Highway Patrol to patrol the city, similar to how Eric Greitens did that. But my, my question for you as a former local policymaker, you know, St. Louis has local control of the police department now. You have a mayor, Melida Cruson, who, who ran on promising to bring crime under control. How much responsibility is it for the local government to take responsibility for the crime problem and not just go to the state and beg for help? That's an excellent question because um, I've been asked that before. And the, the one answer that I like to give is the fact that there is no one person and there is no one solution. And I, ha I do not like it when anyone points it and says the state needs to fix it, the local needs to fix it. We all need to fix it because we're all impacted by it. And so this is not the first time. In fact, in 93 and 95, that's the last time we had the most children murdered in a year. And I lived in the city, and I did not have to live in the city, and we chose to live in the city. So I tell people, we fixed it in the 90s because we had to look at it, and we, we, we studied it. We figured out how do you approach it. And we're back to where the crime is here again, but now it's more violent, and it includes the guns. So that's the key difference is the level of violence and the guns now. So we all have a place here to, to play. And at the state level, so I'll tell you at the state level, 
It's about the gun laws. And you have to know that responsible gun owners, and there's the majority are responsible gun owners, are not going to have a problem if we go back to actually making it so that there is a background check and we have CCWs. Because you want people to know how to use guns, and you want responsible people to have guns. And the thought process is, is that everyone who has a gun right now is a responsible gun owner, and that is not the case. And then, of course, we have a lot of people who are, have guns illegally and should not have guns. And then we're not even touching on the problem with the mental health issue of those who get a hold of guns that should not have them because of their health issues. I, I was talking about the background check piece with Senator Bill Eigel, who's a Republican from St. Charles. And I posed the question to him, like, because I'm not a gun owner. I've never purchased a gun before. I don't know what it takes to buy a gun, but I've talked with a couple people that do. Like getting a background check does not take a very long time. And it, it, it's reasonable to assume that with the technology that we have now, it can be done in a few minutes. This was his response to when I asked him like what the big deal was with increased background checks. The entire conversation is kind of spun of, how are we going to address violence by additional gun control measures? That's the wrong conversation. What we ought to be focusing, if we really want to try to address violence in our inner cities, is how do we get those cities the economic opportunity that they don't have right now? How would you respond to that argument? Well, first of all, I would like to know if he has ever purchased a gun since we changed the gun laws in the state of Missouri. Because all you have to do is walk inside the store. We have one right there on Gravoy. You walk inside the store and you say, you want to buy a gun. And then they say, okay, what are, what are you looking for? And you tell them what you're looking for and then you pick it out and then they hand you a piece of paper that you fill out and then they, you're on your honor. They ask you, are you accused felon? Have you, you know, and you can mark it any way you want. The only thing they actually check is they take your driver's license and they run it. So they're only going to know if you've had an offense or if you're a felon, if you live in the state of Missouri based on your driver's license. So technically, it would be very simple for anyone to get a gun. Now, that's doing it through our system now, which has no checks and balances. If you go to a gun show or, or person to person, there's nothing. And then, of course, now the big thing in the city of St. Louis, which I don't think he realizes, is that people who come into the city are leaving their guns in their cars, and then they're breaking into the cars to get a hold of guns. And now we have so many illegal guns on the streets of the city of St. Louis. It's out of control. So you mentioned concealed carry licenses. And mm -hmm. as you alluded to, the state of Missouri passed a legislation a couple years ago that said you don't have to have a license anymore to carry a gun, to conceal a gun. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that the proponents of that would say there's not a lot of evidence of people that had those licenses going out and committing crimes. Like, why would you need to have that license in order to bring gun violence down? How would you respond to that argument? Um, conceal and carry is a class. And it's a class that educates you on guns. So it's not just about, you know, being able to conceal it. It actually teaches you about guns, responsibility of gun, the laws. It teaches you the laws about what it what if you do shoot your gun, what will happen. And I know people who are in the military who do carry guns that would like to go back to the CCWs because they don't want people carrying guns that don't actually know how to handle them and what the laws are. There are some Republicans that think that the discussion about gun laws is a good idea. Even the governor has said, like, he seems amenable to background checks and red flag laws and things like that. But what he's also said is he doesn't have a, a lot of confidence that, that those type of things would pass in a super Republican legislature. So my question for you is, 
if those type of ideas that you mentioned, even if you think that they make sense, really have no pathway to being implemented, what else do you advocate for in a way for the state to help reduce gun violence? Because if you say, like, we need stricter gun laws or nothing, then you're probably going to get nothing. And I don't think that that's a good solution for anybody. All right. This is about perception. So let's start there. It is completely about perception. And what I mean by that is I have family members in rural Missouri, and they are big hunters. And it is a huge occasion for them to take their son or daughter out for the first time on a hunt. And they kill their first deer. And then they take a picture with their rifle, their hunting rifle, with the deer, showing how, you know, how many points that deer, that buck they shot has. And they will frame it and mount it. And that in their eyes in rural Missouri, what I think they're thinking when urban people talk about gun control, they think we're going to actually come to their house and yank that rifle out of their child's hand. And that is the perception we need to change because I want the people in rural Missouri to see what we see when it comes to guns in the urban areas. And we have children, and I'm sorry if you don't think an 8-year-old carrying an AK-47 isn't a child, but we have children in the city of St. Louis carrying weapons of mass destruction, and that is what our perception is. And we need to bring together those two polar opposite perceptions to say, I get why you don't want any. And then I need them on the other side to say, I get why you need something. And let's come to the middle and figure this out. I want to talk about another issue that's going to be the talk of St. Louis and St. Louis County and was the talk in the legislature last session. That's a city county merger. Um, Better together is no more. Um, and then there's probably not going to be a statewide vote on this issue. But I know that from talking with you offline, you definitely have some strong feelings about where the region should go when it comes to the city and county either consolidating or working together. And I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that. Well, thank you. Um, in my district, we actually had a meeting regarding Better Together, and they had the pro and the con, and then they had Donna. And the reason I say it like that was I thought it was interesting that they were wanting to know from me what was going on in the middle. So um, what I said then, and I'll say it now, is that we can't do nothing. We must do something. What that something is, I can't say specifically, but here's what I can say is that when we keep looking outside of the state of Missouri about how to better have the city, county, and what we're going to do together, we don't need to look outside the state of Missouri. This has already occurred and already happened. It's called Jackson County. I was going to say. That's right. It's in our own state. So I don't understand why we keep looking elsewhere, because what they did in Kansas City, so that people know, is that Kansas City proper, the actual downtown Kansas City, Blue Springs, these all these municipalities, they just took a big net and they threw it over them and they called it Jackson County. And there are other parts of Kansas City that are in other counties like yep. Platt and Clay mm-hmm. and a little bit of Cass. But what you're saying is absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. Like Kansas City is not its own county, basically, like mm-hmm. the city of St. Louis is. Right. It's part of several different county governments. That's Continue. Right. And as I sat on public safety at the state level, what I saw was is they kept getting these federal grants because of that, because they were able to have this large area that was, that was much bigger, they were getting federal funds for a 911 program. And the reason that's important is people don't realize, in my district, the 82nd, uh, there is a dividing line, and it's called Donovan. And it's so many feet within the city. 
And if you are on your cell phone in the city of St. Louis, in my district, and it happens to me all the time, I call 911. Well, it goes to the cell tower in the county. And what you get is 911, how may I help you? And that's the county. And then I'll have to say, um, can you please uh, transfer me over to the city 911? And this last time I did it, it rang eight times before anyone picked up. So we should have a 911 service in city county that works together because nobody cares what who comes. They just care that someone comes in an emergency. And that's just a, a, a simple example. The other part of that was I told people that when I was on a the St. Louis Board of Aldermen. I sat on the executive committee of the Missouri Municipal League. And on that executive committee, I learned how all the different governments worked around the entire state of Missouri. And that's when I had time to look at how Kansas City runs and their county council. And that's why I did work on cutting the Board of Aldermen in half because I wanted to see us more replicate Kansas City. And if you look at Kansas City now, you'll see that they're growing they have gotten way more funding than St. Louis City has, and their population is growing. So right now, there's the, this fledgling Board of Freeholders process. And I say fledgling not to say that it's like going to fail, but just because it's like in the beginning process. And I think that the end game is probably going to be a proposal to bring St. Louis into St. Louis County as a municipality, similar to what you just talked about as, as Kansas City and Jackson County. That would go to a, a local vote, and I think it's going to be really challenging to get that passed locally. But what would you think of that idea, and how do you think that that arrangement would help St. Louis City, if at all? Well, I once again, I think they should look at Kansas City. And if they want to see how it has successfully worked in the way of Jackson County, Platte County, then they can say, how do I, how do, I do that for St. Louis. And I don't think if you look at the facts, you do your homework, that you can't not say that we need to do something. And the perfect example is what's recently happened, which is the health department. The health department, now city and county, is together. And so I've told people that when you have a mosquito with nest with the virus, mosquitoes don't all of a sudden say, oh, I got to stop. I'm at the city county line. I only infect in the city. I only infect in the county. Have they formally merged or are they just working together? They're more working closely? together. They're oh. working together much more closely. Okay. And that is, that is very important. And let me give you an example. We just came out as number one in STDs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that was bound to happen because the services for STDs, most of them, the free clinics and all that are within the city of St. Louis. But those who utilize them don't necessarily live in the city of St. Louis and we had a, I was on the health committee for the city of St. Louis and we were given millions upon millions of dollars from the feds so that if someone came in and wanted free prenatal wanted a smoking sensations to stop smoking the one thing they had to do was get tested for STDs so I said then and that's why our numbers won't go down is because in order for these free services these free clinics to exist for this federal funding Everyone had to get tested for STDs. But we're not also saying where those zip cards are of the people who have the STDs. And does it really matter? It, what should matter is, is that we look at it regionally and that we try to fix it and not say, oh, see, it's just the city. It's all the people in the city. No, it's not. Do you think that if a proposal to bring St. Louis into St. Louis County as a municipality is put on the ballot, do you think that it would pass? I'm not sure. And the only reason I say that is because a lot of people I talk to say, yeah, we need to, we need to do that. A lot of the younger progressives say we need to do that. But then what happens is 
What about the people that we're not hearing from? And how how are the people who can get to the people we're not hearing from, how much are they for or against it? And that's why I always say, if you don't have the elected officials on board, that's a problem because they are the conduit to the voters and they will be able to persuade them one way or the other. And one more thing before I let you go, like if you ended up doing that, I think that one of the consequences is a lot of county city offices. So license collector, recorder of deeds, collector of revenue, treasurer, maybe even circuit attorney would probably be merged into county offices. Um, Some people may think that's a good idea. I even talked with like Michael Butler, who's recorder of deeds. I don't think that he personally would be that upset that he would lose his job under that. But I think that what he said is most of those offices now, with the exception of Gregory F. X. Daly, are held by African-Americans. And there could be a natural opposition to that type of idea if it's presented in the African-American community in the city. What would you say to, to that possibility? I could understand their concern. Looking through their lens, I could understand that concern. But if you just look at it from you know the position of what is in the best interest of our future of our city, maybe you will reconsider that. And why could we not incorporate that into, if we do do this, that those offices aren't lost or they would become part, they'd represent the county? Yeah, it'll have to, it'll really just depend on how the particular plan is is structured. And that's why details matter in this discussion. State Representative, thank you so much for coming in today. It's always great to talk with you for all of our stories. That's tailpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter, Jay Rosenbaum. How could people follow you on Twitter or any other parts of the World Wide Web, or how could they get in contact with you if they want to call your office? Uh, well, if you want to see me on Twitter, at STL Donna B, or I have a website, my state rep, which is public and open for anyone, or they can email me at donna.beringer at house.mo.gov. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long. Hey!